Spoke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee wugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. We are here with uh, another phenomenal guest, someone that I'm really excited that uh, timing finally played out. We get a chance to have this conversation. I am truly honored to have this guest on the show. Uh, I've been following his work on LinkedIn. I can't say forever because that's not true, but it feels like it's been forever. I've been learning a great deal from his insights and, and his sharing of his perspective and the work that he does. Uh, but he's got a whole bunch going on. Um, so I'm really excited to bring this voice and name to the fold of, of many of you who maybe don't know him, um, but you will. And I have no doubt you'll be adding him to your your network of learning um, and just another phenomenal voice that can push our own growth edges, which is the whole point of this podcast. So today I'm here with Dwayne Matthews. And Dwayne, thank you so much for taking time to join the show. I know you are a busy man. So before we get into some of the awesome content and ideas and things that you're sharing to literally millions of people. Let's just start off with the basics. Who are you? What do you do? And what in the world you got going on? So Eric, listen, um, thank you very much for that introduction. You know, that's a, that's a fantastic introduction. Um, and, and very complimentary. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, as I was mentioning to you before earlier, um, you know, a lot of times uh, from COVID, we we work in these little spaces on our own, and um, so you, you you never really know uh, you know who's listening or who's paying attention. I, I just sort of express myself. Um, you know, I, I I was given a keynote the other day, and somebody said, you know, Dwayne is an expert in X Y Z, and um, I, I'm I'm not really comfortable with the term expert. I I find that the the more I know, um, the more I realize that I'm I'm just scratching the surface. And uh, so I'm, I'm just somebody that's, that's terribly curious about the future of education and its connection point to the future of, of economic life. And, and when I say economic life, I, I don't necessarily mean, you know, one economic system or the other, but just the economy of life. How do we go about um, being humans and, and how do we go about uh, living with each other and sustaining ourselves um, and, and organizing in a way that we can do that at scale. And so I spent a, a little bit of time there. I, I was a teacher. Um, I'm, I'm still registered as a teacher here in Toronto. I, I've taught grades three, four, five, and six, a little bit of library. Um, I did that here in Toronto at what we call a, a, a model school, which is uh, you know our fancy term and very Canadian way of saying inner city school. And I did that also at an international private school out in South America in Lima, Peru, and really got to see, you know, um, the similarities and differences between the two. Um, I left education and I went into a field called open innovation. And what we did was we looked for any kind of paradigm shifting technology, innovation, person, patent on behalf of large resource companies that was based in and things like clean technology and climate change. I, I did that for a while. Um, I exited that in 2012. Um, you know, the, the exit was okay. There's, there's nothing Italian parked in the driveway, but you know, I, I did okay. 
And uh, and then I, I started another company, which was a tech company, which was a, a spectacular failure. And while I was licking my wounds from that failure, I really started to think about what are the things that interest me most, what really drives me and, and gets me up. And it was really this connection point between the future of education and innovation. I had a chance to look and see how the world was changing um, in terms of innovation and realize that there was a disconnect between education in terms of how it prepared our students to, to engage with that world. And um, at the time, I recently become a father and very selfishly, I started to think about how could I help to create opportunities for my son? And then how could I help to create opportunities for the, the peers and people of his age group? Um, because I wanted to make sure that, that, that he had a fulfilling and comfortable life. And that sort of expanded into thinking about the future of education and its connection point to the future of work. So that's, I'll, I'll, I'll step off my soapbox um, for a minute and stop there. Yeah. So there's some things that I want to get into, but maybe sit here for just a second, because it sounds like you've been able to have the, the courage and maybe courage is the right word to, to try different things to get out there and, and, and see what else is there. I mean, you went from Toronto to South America to uh, out into the tech world, you know, and now you're doing this work here. And I think that Sunways and, and speaks a lot to, I think a lot of how people are feeling right now. I mean, we're going to be talking AI, but it's a much bigger landscape than just like AI in its of, of itself. You know, how did you work through that to be able to say like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stick my toe out in the water and try something different because I want to, I'm interested in that mindset piece of you knowing that as we get into talking about AI, there's still a lot of fear and trepidation just in the unknown and not the understanding. And while that's not necessarily huge career change stuff, it's definitely a thing where a lot of people are feeling some friction, right? Like here's how I've been doing stuff and AI is kind of challenging maybe how we've done stuff. Um, to me, that's exciting. But before we get into that part of the AI, you know, how did you, what's your mindset going into kind of, I don't know what we'll call it a risk taker, but trying different ventures and trying different angles, because I think that's, that's a really key mindset shift for a lot of us as we're trying to process, you know, how do we stay adaptive to the times? Sure. And, and, and there, there are a couple of things that went into that. Um, one, um, not being very good at stuff. And uh, so what I realized is, you know, if you're trying to be the absolute best on a straight line or straight path, you're typically at the disadvantage because you're coming in behind people that have an advantage of, of more experience than you. So they might have been born before you. They might have been born at a different time. And so you're 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 always kind of behind that person. And I realized if you wanted to create a really unique perspective, you you have to really look at the intersection or perpendicular points of ideas. And if you looked at the perpendicular point and you brought yourself to that, you realize that you created a very unique value proposition. So, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in, in education. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty smart with a lot of things in education, but I'm not number one. I'm not the smartest guy in business. I'm, I'm pretty smart with a lot of things in business, but I'm not number one. I'm not the smartest guy in innovation 
um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smart and knowledgeable about certain things in innovation, but I'm not number one. Um, and I'm not the most travel person, but I do know that when I take all of those things and I cross them and I put them together, plus the fact that I'm, you know, I was born in Toronto. I grew up in the Caribbean. I, I, I moved around a lot. Once I put all of that, it gives me a very unique perspective. And that unique perspective, I can figure out there might be 50 people on planet Earth that have a perspective similar to that one. And if I stay that lane, I, I can create a significant amount of value that I can contribute. And so it, it really helps me to be very confident walking into any room or any space because I, I'm not trying to be better than this person. I'm trying to be better than that person. I just need to come in with the intersection that I bring and that intersection I know can create value that can be, you know, something that I can contribute into a space. Um, and, you know, be, you followed me on LinkedIn, so you'll know that it's, it, you, you get a sense of that all the time. I, I think about that every single day and I double down and I hone in on that every single day. And so, you know, there may be maybe 50 people on on the planet that you know have a perspective like mine or do what I do and I just have to compete with them and I'm, I'm much more comfortable um you know sort of rising to the top of that pool than I am sort of rising to the top of pool of a couple million people on one single line so really perpendicular thinking um has really helped me the other is that because I I moved right so I I spent I was born in Toronto like I mentioned before I spent my, my first 12 years or my next 12 years from two to 14 in Trinidad and Tobago. And I, I actually wanted to be on a swim team and the national swim team in, in Trinidad at the time didn't have one. My mom won a lotto ticket for $600 TT, which is about at the time, probably about 150, 200 US dollars. And she said to me, she goes, Canada has an Olympic team. And if you'd like to go to try out for that one. Um, she goes, you know, this will get you there. And so she put me on a plane at 14 and a half and I went to, 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 to stay with a family friend because I was Canadian born, I was able to stay. Um, I never got to the Olympics, but I, I, I met a wonderful girl, um, and I married her. So I, it, it actually panned out. Worked out pretty well. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I was. And so as I'm thinking through your idea of like the perpendicular points and the intersection, you know, it, it cues up really anyone that's seen me do any sort of professional development in the last couple of months. I have a slide that I, I quote you uh, because I find your work fascinating. And, and maybe we talk about the intersection of the ideas and I don't know if it's a quote for you or, I know the, the word mission statement kind of gets overused quite a bit in education, but um, I've seen you share it time and time again. And I think it speaks a lot to at least where I'm at in my own headspace, trying to process all the things. And, and you say the future of education is human led, purpose driven and technology augmented. And I think that is a really, really uh, excellent way of thinking about the intersection of all the things happening right now, not just, in society for everybody, but I'm, you know, obviously my focus has been a lot of education. And so could you talk a little bit about that statement? I mean, I've seen you post several times and I'm looking at your new letter that's getting ready to rock and I'm sure that's going to be um, exciting as well. Um, 
how did you come to that idea of, uh, you know, how do you use that as kind of your, your backbone? And, or maybe you don't, maybe you have a whole another one that I've completely overlooked. So maybe I don't want to speak for you. Um, but I know when I share that, that, that statement resonates with a, a lot of people who are, you know, whether we're talking AI now or whatever comes another couple of years, like this is the constant cycle of how we try to figure things out in education, whether that was the internet or then it was one-to-one computing and then we had the call, like this right there is exactly what people are trying to dive into it and create some coherence around. So I'm just curious from your side of it. Sure. Sure. It's your words. So, so, so I mean, here's a thought in 1820, about 12% of the population in the Western countries could read and 98% of all the people in North America and most of the Western countries are farmers in 1820. And somewhere along the line, they they had this really, you know, crazy technology that was probably about 600 years old. And they were trying to figure out what to do with this technology. It's moving a little bit slower. And what we call that technology a printed book. And we took that printed book technology and we, we curated other technologies around it and we put it into a strategy and we call that strategy school. And then we decided to scale that innovation. And then we went to a lot of the farmers and the people and said, give us your children for six hours of the day, 192 days, we'll, we'll give them, you know, We'll take them right around harvest time and we'll keep them for the winter when you're, they're doing a little bit. We'll give them back to you in the spring so you could put them to work. But give us your children and um, it's going to be awesome. And so, you know, and obviously I'm simplifying a lot of the story, but if you think about every single thing around you, it's based on on that strategy. It's based on that technology. It's based on that curation, but it wasn't for its own sake. We pointed our imagination. So our imagination started to think about how do we have more prosperity for more people? And that's not evenly distributed across the planet, but our imagination started to point us in that direction. We, we could have gone in a different direction. If you look historically at different civilizations, you can see when they go in different directions. The Egyptians built pyramids. Um, you know, they were very focused on the afterlife. We were very focused on prosperity. We were focused on science. Um, and, and so that's the direction that we, we, we went in. And, and that was our imagination that was driving. So it was human land. So we had all these tools, um, you know, printed book technology is the leader. And we directed that to think about how do we expand? And so the word that we use today is growth, right? Like we, we just think about growing and we, it's hard for us to think about anything else, right? We, we, we've sort of bought into, we just need to grow. We just need to keep on growing. Right. Um, and, um, you know, when we start thinking about the upper limits of that, we're like, we'll sort it out, but we just need to keep on growing. And so that's our human imagination. That's really being driven. And the purpose is, is, is growth and prosperity. And, you know, we used growth and prosperity over time to bring peace. People throw it around, but our interdependence with, with other countries, our economic interdependence 
keeps us reasonably peaceful. I mean, we still have lots of skirmishes around the world, but you know, if, if you consider the more interdependent we've become, the more peaceful we've become as a species over time. Like you can see a, a direct relationship from 1945 when people dying by war, it drops off dramatically and, and has not gone up to, to those levels since from 19, uh, 1945 and before, where the only way that we, we grew was to grab somebody else's stuff. Right. So now we, 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 there's still a bit of that, but there's this idea of economic independence. So that's the purpose. And our technology augments that. Our ability to have ships and cars and trains and computers and knowledge. The fact that you and I even speaking together, we're exchanging value in a way that, you know, we, we take it for granted. But, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, um, there would be absolutely no way for us to exchange ideas. And so now we're doing that and we, we sort of have this purpose, but it's human led first. So it really comes down to what captures our imagination and what direction would we like to go? I think we run into a difficult time when the technology brings us to an event horizon and we have a hard time seeing past. And any time that we've done that historically, we've become understandably very concerned. Um, we, we, we become reasonably depressed. Um, we sort of revert back to the classic because we try to slow things down because we're really trying to figure out, you know, what happens next. I, I want you to imagine the farmer in 1820. Imagine what it was like to say, no, your son's not going to lift that heavy bag and, and he's not going to help you with the animals. He's going to learn to read. <laughs> you can imagine the person saying, we're all going to starve to death right, right now. Here's what's interesting. Only 2% of the population in Western countries, the United States in specific, only 2% are farmers. And do we have a problem with not enough food in the Western world? No, our, our problem is actually eating too much of it. That's right. <laughs> our problem is distribution. So, you know, we, we've, we, we leverage technology to do something which is an extension of ourselves. But at the end of the day, no matter where we go, there we are. I love I love that. Thank you for for expanding on that. It just opens up my my brain on a lot of different levels, you know. And so, sticking with that, you know, here we are, and AI is is everywhere. Especially if you scroll LinkedIn every post, and I'm I'm guilty for feeding into the thing as I'm trying to navigate and process what it means in a proactive approach versus I think so much of education for so long has usually been reactive. Um, and some of this, I think people are realizing myself includes like get in and work with schools. Like we don't need to jump right into policy. We actually have to do some learning. Like we have to like listen thing that we want with our students to be lifelong learners. Boy, we've got to giddy up and there's lots of variables into maybe why some of that resistance is there. But where I want to connect this to is like, what are they that I've been really passionate about the last couple of years even take AI out of that as this idea of like human pedagogy and how do we bring that human side into the schools, into the learning process? Can they have all these tools and, and strategies and techniques that allow, we, we can expedite, but used to be such a, a time consumer of like lower level thought and engagement of learning because we just didn't have the means. And now we've got tools and all sorts of different methods where we could get past that. 
you know, that depth of knowledge, low level one quickly to be able to engage in these deeper conversations and thought processes that is what, what is exciting to be human and to, to hear different ideas and how do we work through that? And you have a thought and I have a thought, we might not agree, but boy, in the space, how do we come to a common understanding, you know, through that? So as, as we're thinking through this world of, of AI, that's kind of working its way through all of society and educations and thinking about your statement, how are you maybe wrapping your head around that? Or, or what are some of the messages that as you're speaking and working with, with various people, whether in education or not, helping them try to make sense of that? Because I feel like if I, when I share your statement, people are like, yes, I get it. Boom. You know, um, and they're like, okay, now let's talk AI. They're like, oh, nope, I'm shut down. <laughs> so I'm just curious, you know, you, you have a much larger reach. You're talking and working with all sorts of people, various backgrounds. How are you helping them try to just start to make some sense of, of this? Because here it is just another, uh, I should say just another, but that technology augmentation of AI is, is right now probably out tipping the scales a little bit with the other parts of that, just due to like the initial emotional pull that, that, that it, that's full with people. Sure. Um, and so there are a couple of things there. So I'll say this when, you know, I, I have a, an iPhone 14 and I'm going to make a statement and I'll see how you'll respond. So when I was dating my wife, the way that I got her to notice me was to create a mixtape of slow ballads and music, right? Yeah. And um, and so, you know, I was explaining this to my son. My son came to me and said, how did you get your mom to be interested? And I said, well, but let me tell you what I did. I, I go, I, I would, it take me like 10 to 20 days listening to the radio with my two fingers on these two buttons. And I would create this thing called a mixtape. And, um, and trade a DJ wouldn't interrupt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, you know, right in between my, my, my ballad or a slow song. Um, and so then I'd hand this tape over to your mom. I go, but here's the thing. That radio had 135,000 transistors in it. My phone, my iPhone 14, has one single chip with 20 billion transistors on that chip. And, you know, a human hair is about 10,000 nanometers in diameter. One of those transistors is about six to seven nanometers in diameter and we managed to put 20 billion and there are millions of these phones now why did i tell you that part of the story i told that part of the story because when i ever mention that to anybody nobody falls off their seat nobody takes a deep breath and said are you kidding that can't be true we sort of say yeah but you know what's the camera like um and and so why do I say, yeah, but what's the camera like? Because what's important is what we're trying to get done, right? What's important is what are we trying to get done? And, you know, and this is not me. This is Clayton Christensen, the late Clayton, um, Clayton Christensen at, um, from Harvard University. And he, he passed at the beginning of COVID. And, and, you know, sometimes I would tell people, I think maybe he was seven feet or close to and I, I tell people, I, I think he was holding the whole world up because uh, after he passed, uh, you know, everything shut down. But 
you know, when we think about what we're trying to do, that's where we need to place our focus because technology becomes a commodity. When we, when we think about the fact that nobody's amazed with the technology and the fact that it becomes a commodity, right? All of it. Like I say to people, there's one factory on planet earth that makes the Nvidia chip to power chat GPT, right? Um, the company's called the, the Taiwan manufacturing, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company. Right. And, um, they also make the chips in an iPhone one. Nobody's amazed that, you know, there, there's a group of people that are somehow able to handle something that's six nanometers in size, make 20 billion of them and put them on millions and millions of phones. Right. Right. You know, so yesterday the, the iPhone 15 comes out and people are like, oh yeah, I guess the camera's a little bit better. Like, I mean, there's, it's, it's absolutely mind boggling what they've done, yeah. right? Like it's absolutely mind boggling what an iPhone is. I go, it's, you know, 20 years ago, touching the surface of a device was something just for Star Trek. And, you know, here we are, my cousins in Trinidad and Tobago, um, I couldn't give them my iPhone X if I wanted to, right? Like it's not new enough. And so when we realize that technology becomes a commodity, that's actually when it gets really exciting because now we can sit back and think about, well, what do we actually want to do? Right. I mean, let me put that in a teacher perspective. I used to teach elementary kids and I'd have this thing called a shiny box and I'd bring in the shiny box. I'd put it in the middle of the carpet and I'd leave like 10 grams in there. And the kids would come around and they'd be hugging and say, well, what's in the box, Mr. Matthews? What's in the box? And I would leave them. I'd let them wait for a little bit. And then eventually I'd say, okay, open the box. And they'd pull out all the 10 grams and they'd start playing with it on the carpet. And I would sit back at my desk and just watch them and try to observe, you know, who's doing what. And, and slowly but surely, somebody would look up to me and say, okay, so Mr. Matthews, what do we do with this now? And that is the exciting moment because that's when we start thinking about, yeah, what can 10 grams do? What can we do with this? Um, and that's sort of where we are with technology. Right. We, we are in a place where just about every teacher um, in the Western world has heard about some kind of AI. And, you know, some are afraid, um, some are excited, but nobody is amazed. And we just heard about it for the first time in November. Right. Um, you know, people are like, well, what can I do with it? What problems is it going to cause me? How does it help me do what I'm trying to do? And I think what's happened is a lot of us, um, particularly in K to 12, we've sort of gotten lost in the tactics of what we're doing. Right. Um, you know, and so we, we, we think that we're preparing kids just for our leg of the race, which is some kind of post-secondary educational endeavor, but actually we're preparing kids a to be lifelong learners and B to contribute back into society. If people don't have an opportunity to contribute back into society and they feel like they can't and they feel useless, they become very upset. Um, and you just don't want that to scale, right? So you, you, you try to figure out how can we create these opportunities um, for people to contribute into society and how can we 
create the opportunity for them to grow prosperity. And we're really thinking about prosperity as in, you know, not everybody needs to be a millionaire, but everybody needs to live a good life and, and feel that they're contributing something back into the greater whole of society. And so once we get to that, then we can start to think about what we do with the technology. Then we, it's like tools in a toolbox, right? I, I don't get my hammer and just start hammering. I say, I want to build something. Well, what do I want to build? Well, I want to build this house. Okay, what tools do I need? I'm going to need wood. I'm going to need, you know, maybe a saw. It's brand new. But I'm also going to need things that are old. I'm going to need to understand right angles. Right? Um, I'm, I'm going to need help. So once I decide what it is that I'm doing, uh, then I can go out and figure, well, what tools do I need, old and new? And I think AI is the same. So our idea is we're trying to do what? What is it that we're sending these kids to school for? Right? Because it's school's probably one of the riskiest things that we can do for a child. Like there's a lot of high risk, right? You're sending your child into a building with strangers, right? You don't know how the other kids are socialized in that building. You know that if a child sits for hours and hours and hours in their life, it leads to high probability of heart disease, which is the number one killer in the world. More than war, more than COVID, uh, more than racism, more than climate change, the number one killer is heart disease, right? And the number one correlation to that is a sedentary life, sitting. And that's primarily what we do. But the technology was so important, this book, and it's allowed us to do so many amazing things. We're like the risk, we can mitigate the risk because the upside's so huge, but we're trying to do something more prosperous life. So now we start to think, well, what is it that we want for our kids? Do we want them to just write five paragraph essays for the sake of an essay? No, we want them to write because we want them to think. Thinking is the premium, right? Thinking is the premium. How can we help use these technologies for thinking? Why do we want them to think? Because we want them to contribute and create prosperity. Okay, now let's 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 bring that into focus. Now let's go out and think, what do we need to help them do that? Man, I love that. It makes me think so much of, I'm thinking through some things that I've been doing as it's a new school year and we begin some new professional development, trying to help wherever, whatever schools are and whatever their initiatives are. And AI is, is not in there, but it tends to kind of permeate down the outskirts of everything. So it kind of naturally comes into the conversation. And, you know, as, as you're talking through that, it just reminds me a lot of so many things. Um, one, I do notice that there isn't that amazement um, when you go to show, you know, right now it's some AI stuff, but it wouldn't be different than anything in my 20 years of education, whatever the wave of excitement was. But it comes back to like, what is, what is it? What's the problem we're trying to solve? And I think until you have that, clearly laid out because then when I go in and say work with smaller teams or, and we're working, whether it's AI or just project-based learning or just different sorts of ways, like how do we get kids to show up to school? How do we create engagement? Like what is the problem we need to solve? That's when I think some of the amazement starts to come in because then we can start to actually see whether we're 
reducing that problem or solving the problem. Some problems I don't think are always necessarily solvable when it comes to the human piece, but how do we reduce the problem from that being such a huge issue uh, where we are? And then I think about, as you're talking about Apple, and I was watching watching some of that video, the keynote, I was looking at, I was just blown away by what the lens can do in an iPhone. You know, and they were they had a visual there comparing how big the lens would have to be how it used to be with a regular camera of what it can do, the technology behind that. And some of that, I'm just like, like my dad and I are both photography nerds. And so we were just like, that is the craziest thing ever. Like you remember, remember the bags we used to carry if we wanted to like take pictures at the zoo or whatever. And now it's just in your pocket and people are just like, meh. But it's almost like what Apple has done. And a lot of companies too, is they, they bring together solutions to problems that we didn't even think we weren't even thinking about, you know? So I think some of that, like, amazement is kind of gets lost like they're, they're they're anticipating what people want and need which i think is which is also kind of an interesting conundrum in that mindset where that people don't get wowed by that i'm like that is just crazy what they're able to put into such a small little device well what one of my mentors said to me he was technology gets really good when we forget that it's technology and it just feels like regular life yeah. Right. So, you know, I mentioned to people all the time about printed book technology and people gloss it over. They're like, so what do you think about technology in school, Dwayne? I'm like, I just told you <laughs> it was built around technology. The actual purpose of school was to train students on the printed book technology. Like that's the primary purpose. Go to school to learn to read. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, that's the, 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 the base function of school is to master this technology, right? In the first few grades, one, two, three, and then eventually from three and up, then you read to learn, yeah. right? Because once you master this technology, it gives you superpowers. You're exponentially augmented. You can essentially have a, not a two-way, but a one-way conversation with a brilliant mind from the past. It transcends space and time, and then you can find other brilliant minds, and you can create these perpendicular intersections. Right. And those perpendicular intersections allow us to do really amazing things. Right. Like, you know, we, we talk about Apple, um, you know, the mouse, the computer mouse was Xerox. <laughs> right. Steve Jobs went in and saw this mouse and he thought, I don't know exactly what I could do with that. Yep. Right. Like that solves my problem with my Mac. The rest is history. Right. And so I think it's it's really important to think about um what is the job to be done? And again, this is, you know, this is Clayton Christensen. Um, what's the job to be done? And, you know, how do we go out and, and do that? And um, the more and more we spend thinking about that, the more and more we'll find a place for the, the technology stacks that we create, right? I go, it's, it's really difficult to nail down a perspective on right or wrong. It's a, it's, it's a little bit easier to nail down what I'm trying to get done or what I'd like to do. Um, and I, I think as we spend more time with that, we're going to find lots of uses for lots of technologies and we're going to find some things we should just leave on the roadside. Um, you know, when I did open innovation, there's a lot of really amazing technologies that I saw that, they just didn't have a use case for it. And so they died on the vine, like really amazing things. And they're just like, you know, that's, that's super cool, but 
we don't know where it fits, right? right? Um, um, or it or it doesn't fit. And so, I think you know, technology is one thing, innovation is another. And and just to give you an idea of, you know, talking about being underwhelmed, right? And why Apple's so good at it is Apple has a strategy called continuity, and it slowly you know, kind of seeps into all areas of your life. I can remember seeing the first iPod um, billboard, right? Remember those with the white, the white earbuds and me thinking, I'm never going to buy one of those. And now, I mean, all my devices are, are Apple and the continuity of it is what's really, really sticky for me. My phone connects to my computer, connects to my AirPods, connects to my iPad, connects to my car as I'm walking, right? It's really, so it's slowly but surely is just sort of seeping into my day and it's allowing me to do things that I want to do. And I'm almost forgetting how amazing all of that is, right? Like I'm like, why would this switch over faster? Like I'm, I'm in the car, my Bluetooth must've taken like a half a second, right? Like what's going on? Right. Um, and so, but it allows me to, to be hands-free. It allows me to, right now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older, so I want to stay healthy. Now my watch is telling me stuff about myself that I can see when I'm stressed. I, I can see, you know, what's my resting heart rate. I, have I closed my rings? Um, all of these things are, they're, they're things that I, they're jobs that I need to get done. Uh, and it's helping me to do that. So it's not really, I don't want to say solving a problem in so much as I'm already trying to do something. I'm always trying to do, I've always been trying to do it, right? Like if you think of a car, you know, why are cars so popular? Because we're always, we've always been trying to go from A to B, right? If you think of 100,000 years ago, we were trying to go from A to B. And today we're trying to go from A to B. And here's what's interesting. And this is an interesting piece. Uh, and we'll come back to that in a second. Is that, you know, when I was a teenager, I need to get a car because I want to go from A to B. And slowly but surely, entry-level cars, the sale of entry-level cars has dropped. Because of, why did I want to get from A to B? Well, I wanted to go and create shallow connections with my friends. Maybe one or two deep ones, but most of it's shallow, right? Like I just want to engage. I want to go to a party, say hi to everybody. And so with the advent of social media, we've seen the decrease in the sale of entry-level cars because now people can create those shallow connections at scale in a way they couldn't. So I don't necessarily need to use the car as much anymore, do I? Right? I can Snapchat, right? I can, I can, I can FaceTime. Um, and so, you know, is it still important? Yeah, it's important for me to go meet people face to face, but do I have to do it? No, I had options, right? And so what is that? That's what happens is we start off with a function, we create a form and then we optimize that form and we optimize it so much that we forget. And at some point, a moment in time comes up, a whole series of innovations come and it shifts the premise. And now, once again, we're asked to optimize for function, and that might mean changing form, right? I like that, but it just makes me think off the top of my head of, I was just having this conversation with my son, who is, who's now a freshman at college, and we're just nerding out talking video games. 
he was telling me some game I need to play. And I'm like, I don't, I personally don't like the multiplayer. I don't want to like have to like talk and engage with people. Like I like, but that's my old school original Nintendo generation where I had my two buttons and, you know, I had from point A to point B, I wanted to get from start to finish. I wanted to beat the game. And it, we've, we've talked about this too, how like when I was a kid, the big things were on weekends. You always have sleepover. Like you go to your buddy's house. And, and why was that? Well, because you, you couldn't save games. Um, you know, you didn't have internet was still AOL dial up, you know, even at that point. And so you had to come together in person at a, at a central location to play the games. So you could connect and talk and all the shallow things, just like you talked about, you know, just talk dumb stuff that you do as kids where now, like he never did that when, because he has his headset and it's actually more inconvenient to be in person to play video games because you'd have to bring all your devices and you still have to put your headset on and you have to have all the TVs. You're just better off staying home. And it's just like this weird whole, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, therefore like the video game market just doesn't, I haven't, I haven't changed from my old school days where um, that's when I liked I wanted to play my Tecmo Super Bowl, you know, and we switched controllers and the games lasted 20 minutes. Well, now I got to invest yeah. in 800 hours to get to the end line, which is awesome, but it's just a different in, in the generation of that. I think about your function and form of the function and form of what connected to me and my adolescent years is different for him. And then it would be an, even more interesting to see what happens with the next generation with whatever. Yeah. Well, and, and so, so here's the thing. The thing is, is that, um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone today and they're like, you know, I, I think the world's getting worse. And I said, no, it's, it's not. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, I, I do think we, we have undulations. Uh, I, I do think we have some pretty big problems, pretty big challenges. Um, but I think overall, um, we're still marching in a, in a positive direction. Um, you know, one of the things that I say often is that I'm wary of the risk, but I'm, I'm radically optimistic about the possibilities. Um, not what is, but the possibilities. And so here's where I think, um, you know, something that's always happened with technology. So we talk about job to be done, right? So somebody says, you know, technology is making us less human. When I said, well, I beg to differ. I go, technology is giving us the opportunity to be more human. It's giving us the opportunity to unlock our imagination. And how does it do that? Because it creates cognitive surplus, right? So we, you know, think of when we were farming, you wake up bright and early and you go to bed early and you work the whole time and you were just so tired you went right to bed, right? Um, when we were hunters and gatherers, right? We, The hunters and gatherers, the men were gone for weeks, never saw wife or kids, and they were reasonably unproductive, right? Maybe they might have came back with a couple of rabbits, right? Like it, it, it wasn't like they were, you know, they were chasing down mastodons and, you know, coming back with those on a daily basis. Um, you know, the, the, the women actually were, were significantly more productive because they, you know, by, by dropping things, discovered farming and agriculture. And, uh, but as we became more technologically savvy, once we had fire, right, we could now stay up a little bit later and we could sit down and look at this fire. And I don't know if you've been camping or not, but if you sit down camping and you look at a fire, what naturally starts to happen? You start to think, right? So one of the reasons that people like camping is a campfire, because you sit down, we start to think. You have a cognitive surplus. 
right? And, it, and then you talk about what you're thinking about. Now you're sharing ideas. You didn't have that time before. And if there's no fire, you'd probably go right to bed, right? You're not going to sit in the dark. But with this fire comes this, with electricity, we're now up. With, we now have TV. We now, we now have all these exchanges of ideas with books. We, we now can exchange, we can read about somebody from a completely different country, right? What's their perspective? Why do they think that way? Um, and so we have this opportunity for cognitive surplus. And that job that we've been trying to get done, which is more cognitive surplus, has continued from the time of fire now to AI, mm. right? It's the same job. We want more cognitive surplus. Here's the problem. We haven't been training ourselves in a very metacognitive way about what to do with that cognitive surplus. So typically what happens is we, we have all this excess attention and somebody comes along and they create something and they consume that attention and they turn it into value, right? So my parents, the TV was always on never went off. What are you doing? It's keeping me company. And they looked at the news, always on, never went off, right? Um, you know, they read the newspaper, right? Which is really sort of framed in a, a certain perspective. Um, today with social media, it's the economy of attention. The opportunity though is if you took your cognitive surplus and you pointed it in a particular direction because you knew the job that you were trying to do. We have lots of examples where people become really, really impactful, right? I sat down, I write on LinkedIn every day, five days a week since 2016. And I was just writing. I just forced myself to do it. And it's, it's really a journal entry. I, most of the times I don't edit. I go back and edit halfway through. I'm like, oh my God, how do you pull that? <laughs> right? Um, and uh, now I'm over a million views a year and not by any, you know, I, I don't use any marketing tools. Or, it's just just the consistency of I want to take my content surplus and point it in this particular direction, right? And, you know, all of a sudden now I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book. I never would have thought about writing a book in 2015, mm. right? Um, and I never would have had an audience that I would say, hey, are you guys interested in the book that I might Right. I only need a certain amount of people say, I, that, I not buy a book for 20 bucks. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in that. And all of a sudden, but that's cognitive surplus, right? And it comes with a certain amount of sacrifice. And the more surplus we can get, the more opportunity we have. And so with education, we now have to start teaching kids how to learn specifically metacognitively and aim their cognitive surplus. What will you do with the extra time? Mm. Right? You can, you can, you know, be a product where you can create something with your surplus, but it's going to do something. Right. Somebody's going to come for it or you're going to use it. And I think that's, um, that's the opportunity to increase our humanity. It, it, so paradoxically, technology provides us with the opportunity to be more human. I love that. And um, I've been trying to wrap my head around that very thing. You said it much more elegantly than I have ever been able to do. And so it makes so much sense because that's what I see. I see it as such a great opportunity to 
bring to light the things we've been trying to figure out for so long. We just haven't maybe necessarily always had the methods to go about doing it. Or we haven't been able to get out of our own way to do it. Um, not because for a lack of effort or trying, because we know people spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out all the things. And there's such a, a power here, I think, to to bring that human side back to the forefront again uh, once we start to leverage some of the opportunities that that exist for us. You know, Dwayne, I want to be respectful of your time because I could sit here and really talk with you for another couple hours because you've just opened my my mind to lots of new things to think about. But as we, we bring this to a close, I want to give you a chance if you've got any kind of final thoughts that you want to make sure you share that you didn't get a chance to, you know, then more importantly for those listening, they know by now all the links will be in the show notes and all that good stuff. But if people want to follow you and learn more about you, and obviously we've talked to LinkedIn, we'll put that in there, but any of that kind of work, stuff like that. So I always say is people are at a red light and and, and want to start scrolling and, and add you to their their, their their learning network, you know, where are some of those those top places for them to uh, follow along and on your journey and insights? Because if this didn't get them excited to, to know what you're bringing to the table and the sharing of your ideas, um, then, you know, they're missing out big because you, Every day I read your stuff and it, it, it does, it pushes my thinking, it gives me new perspective. And this conversation was no different. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I appreciate your kind words at the beginning and the end. Um, so I like to funnel most of, of any of the attention that I draw through LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've started a newsletter on Substack, um, but LinkedIn is probably the entry point. Um, you know, I'm, I'm registered with Speaker Spotlight, so if people are interested to, to have me come in and, and do a keynote, um, I usually put that at the end of my LinkedIn as well, um, if that's of interest. And even, you know, if people are interested in thinking about, when they think about AI and education, think about, hey, you know, like if you're interested in just the shiny box stuff, that's not me. Um, but if you're interested in like, okay, now that I'm over it, um, what can we do? How do I build a stack? to 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 do something um you know we, we can get together and think about what is this something that you want to do um you know how do we leverage an open innovation process to build that stack um to go out and and, and to get it done um and, and then how do we help students to really think about their cognitive surplus um and how to leverage that and i think you know sometimes i, I call it the back to the future strategy where there are a lot of things that we did in the past that we couldn't scale. Um, and now we have innovations that allow us to scale. So my last challenge to teachers would be, you know, if you never hear from me again, I would say, take a weekend, sit down and go back to why you started teaching. And when you go back to why you started teaching, when you get that answer, then think to yourself, the, the technology and innovation that's now available, allow me to do the things that I wanted to do in the past that I couldn't. I have a journal that I started writing in 2002, and I had this idea of this innovative school. And slowly but surely, it was no, no, could never do it. No, doesn't fit my imagination, right? Like it really came off of like Star Trek, the next generation. And slowly but surely, you know, the last piece came in November 2022. <laughs> the last piece, I'm like, we could do everything, right? Yeah. Everything that I want to do, um, you know, we can now go out and do it. And and so, 
I, I'm I'm helping folks to share that vision. And you know, some people are taking some like I'm sharing it with as many people as I can. So you know, if, if you're interested in this, um, let's work together and and help you take a piece of it or or, or not. Um, and but I would say, you know, do that work. I mean, even if you just said all I want to do is just pay my bills, think. Are there innovations that can allow you to pay those bills better? Teachers pay teachers. AI. All right. Um, you know, if you say I want to make an impact on kids, are there innovations that allow you to reach further? I do strategic partnerships at a virtual school. We have 20,000 kids in 114 different countries. Um, you know, I help kids with, with AI techniques and writing, how to learn to write better. So there's so many different things, but really sit back and think to yourself and write it down, commit it to paper and say, when I started teaching, this is what I wanted to do. And then write the question on the page. When I started teaching, the things that I couldn't do, is there technology and innovations today that allow me to do it? And let it sit. And I guarantee the answers will come and you will find those technologies. And then you just have to think about how do I put this stack together? So that's uh, that, that's it, Aaron. And I, I also want to tell you thank you for, for having me and um, giving me an, an opportunity to, to stretch my thinking a bit and express myself a bit. Um, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, the honor is all mine. And I think that challenge is a perfect challenge to, you know, end this, this podcast on. And I look forward to, I know several people that I work with that always listen to these shows. So I'm excited to uh, follow up with them and seeing what comes to light in their work. So uh, for those listening that, you know, I know who you are, uh, be ready for the nudges because I'm going to do the work too. I like that. I like it. It's a good little challenge thinking back about why I got into the work that I do and, and what that means. And so that's another little powerful uh, thought exercise that I think can, can help us think through whatever the next steps might be. So Dwayne, as, as I said, beginning this complete honor, I really, really appreciate you finding time. I'm glad we're able to make this work and um, I can't wait to share it with the world. All right. Thank you very much. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee wugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.